this morning. Uh, if you would open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, then welcome. My name is Matt, and uh, I'm uh, the lead pastor here, and uh, we are blessed that you are, are here. This morning, in the book of Matthew chapter 21 last week, uh, we, we started off the book of uh, Matthew 21 by um, the triumphal entry. And even though when you consider the book of Matthew, we still have about a third of the book left, this is Jesus' last week. So when we get to the triumphal entry, we find out that, that something has already taken place. Um, and yet, when we realize that in the, the book of Matthew, a lot of the Gospels is taken up by the last week of Jesus. A lot of the time, which means that God has a special emphasis for this last week of Christ on this earth. Now, this isn't the last week of Jesus, right? Because Jesus is still alive, amen? But it's the last week of Jesus's life on this earth. Now, before we get into reviewing and uh, kind of getting into our passage here, I wanted to share some things uh, with you when it comes to, um, in regards to news this past week. And, and I'm going to share it in this way. First of all, there's a ministry called Exodus International. How many of you are familiar with Exodus? Okay, some of you are. Uh, Cy Rogers, he actually taught here. How many years ago was that? Ten years ago, okay. Uh, Cy Rogers from Exodus International, uh, he was here. And, and basically, he shared his own personal testimony of, um, of just being really the first sex change operation uh, in, was it California or the United States? California. And he was uh, about ready to go through the process. And during that time, he was about ready to go through the, the process. Um, he had two friends, two gay friends that came to him, and, and they kind of shared their own testimony that they had come to Christ. And so he was very shocked. And, and uh, if you've ever heard his testimony, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty shocking when you just think about his background and where he's come from. But one of the things that he shared, which was so important, um, I heard it loud and clear. He talked about residual. And he said, in, in my sin, there's residual in my life, just like there is sin and residual in your life. So if by grace you would overlook my residual, then by grace I will also try to look, overlook your residual. And one of the things that he was sharing is that we are all sinners that are saved by grace, every single one of us. But the reason why I bring this up right now is that last week, Exodus International, which was a um, a, a ministry specifically to minister to those in the homosexual community um, was uh, they issued an apology. And the apology that was issued um, said basically the way that they had gone about ministering to the homosexual community, that they had made some mistakes. And I read the article and I agreed with parts of it. And there are parts of it that the evangelical church has made a lot of mistakes. And I'll tell you one of the greatest mistakes one of the greatest mistakes is to say that that sin is a greater sin than other sin. Because when we say that that sin is a greater sin than other sin, then what happens is we become very self-righteous. And self-righteousness is a sin in and of itself. To say, well, I'm better than you because my sin is better than your sin. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of all sin is what? It's death. It's separation from God. So yeah, I, I agree that that has been a mistake. I'll tell you another huge, huge mistake. Another mistake has been the church, the evangelical church, attacking people. 
And so what happens is we've polarized the very people that God has called us into the world to reach, of which, when we read in Scripture, of which many of us were. As, as it says, that whatever those things are in our past, many of us had come out of, out of different backgrounds, out of different past, whether it was um, a false religion or whether it was a, an abusive uh, background or maybe it was addiction or, or maybe it was just self-righteousness or, or just not worshiping God or following God. All of us have been saved that are saved by Christ. And we're going to look at that this morning. If you don't know Christ, today, here's an invitation. Jesus is giving you the invitation. Now, let me tell you that I was, the, the part about the apology that was difficult for me was that I, I wanted to make sure that they weren't saying this. I wanted to make sure that in the apology, they were not saying that, well, yes, the Bible doesn't teach about homosexuality. The Bible does. God speaks on it. Not as greater than any other sin, but as sin. And now the tendency and the temptation is one thing. The acting on it is another thing. So if someone says, hey, this is how I was born. Now we could agree or disagree in different people's backgrounds. Some people say that they were born that way or not born that way. Well, I was born with a bad temper. And so because I was born with a bad temper, does that mean I could go around and beat people up or get in fights and get beat up because of my bad temper and just say, well, I was just born with a bad temper. I I was also born with a very selfish attitude, a very selfish nature. In fact, it probably came out at toddlerhood, even before that, in infancy. And does that mean that because I was born with that tendency that I'm just supposed to continue in that tendency? It doesn't. So when we come to Christ, what we realize is that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Not grace or truth. And what has happened is I think that, that our world has kind of separated Jesus. We've almost tried to cut Jesus in half. You remember Solomon who said, hey, let's cut the baby in half. I think that the world has, has kind of said, even the church has said, let's cut Jesus in half. And we'll have the truth part. Jesus is truth. And this other half of the church says, we have the grace part. But Jesus is full of grace and truth. The, the liberal side doesn't have the corner on the market on grace. And a conservative side doesn't have the corner of the market on truth. It's Jesus full of grace and truth. Now, because of that, when the apology was given for the way that Exodus International has handled their ministry, now that's up to them. That is their ministry in particular. But because that is their ministry in particular, it doesn't mean that that speaks for all of Christendom. So... The part that was very disturbing for me was that the next day, Exodus International closed their doors. So this is last week. Exodus International, they shut down the ministry. And to shut down the ministry the day after the apology gives a message in my heart, in my mind, that says, hey, we were wrong with saying that there is anything that is different at all. And that's just in my mind, that's in in my own opinion, to shut down the ministry the day after that apology is almost in a sense to say we apologize for ever trying this ministry in the first place or ever trying to reach out to the homosexual community. So are we to reach out? Absolutely. Are we to love people and reach out to them as they are? Yes. And in fact, it's important that we don't say, hey, why don't you clean yourself up And get your act together and stop sinning and then you could come to church and then you could come to Christ. Because that is not the message of the gospel. 
The message of the gospel is come just as you are. Come dirty, come sinful, come self-righteous, come in your pride, come in all of these things. But when you come, humble yourself and realize all of us needs a savior. Confess your sin and say, I need Christ in my life. Now, the same week, um, you know that last week the Supreme Court struck down a, a key part of the Defense of Marriage Act. Now, DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, was adopted in 1996 by Congress, and it was intended to reserve benefits and federal recognition for traditional marriage. It was a a 5-4 ruling in the Supreme Court. So even the Supreme Court is is almost evenly divided. But you see this divide that is kind of happening in our our nation. I want to share one more thing before we get into the message, because I, I think that it's pertinent you know, there are times that I'll give an exhortation or, or something that's just on my heart to share with you that is before the message that doesn't have to do with the text because I don't want to try to make it fit into the text that, that we're studying. I want the Bible, God's word, to speak for itself because God wants to speak to us. But this morning, it is so perfect because it actually, it actually comes right in the middle of, of the text, and you're going to see this. Um, when we consider worship... One of the greatest religions, one of the biggest religions in all the world today is sex. And I say that not for, you know, shock value or anything like that, but but let me just think about it this way. What is the definition of a religion? It's a deeply held set of values and beliefs. It affects your relationships with others. It affects how you vote. It affects what you do with your money. It affects where your passions are. It affects your values. It affects your family. And so when we consider that definition, it is one of the greatest definitions of of sex being a a religion today. And because of that, this morning, when we get into God's word, the theme of the book of Matthew is really the king and his kingdom. So in the king's kingdom, there are specific standards and and rules of conduct and, and just conduct relationships the way that we're to relate to one another in his kingdom and if it were my kingdom then i could say hey these are my rules but it's god's kingdom and it's god's authority and so it's a kingdom of love absolutely a kingdom of grace absolutely but it also also a kingdom of holiness in which god is the one that sets the standard for what is holy and what is not so this morning please open up your hearts to the lord open up your heart to god's word Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Come with just this open heart of saying, God, I I want you to teach me. I'm asking your Holy Spirit to lead me. And could we pray that together? Because I believe not only will it make a difference for us, but I believe that God is calling us to make a difference in this world to reach people for him as well. So let's pray. Lord, this morning, uh, we don't want to come to you with uh, our own agenda. We don't want to come to you with a political agenda. We don't want to come to you, Lord, with preconceived notions. God, we want to come to you with an open heart, and we want to open up your word and say, Spirit, speak to us. God, teach us. We acknowledge that you are God, and we are not. So we come to you humbly. We ask for blind spots in our lives, Lord, to be made clear. We pray, Lord, that you would search our hearts and see if there be any sinful way in us. God, it is so easy to look at other people's sin as worse than our own sin. But Lord, we come to you each, individually and collectively, 
saying, God, we humble ourselves before you. God, forgive us, cleanse us, help us to understand what this means. Help us to understand your word today. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Last week, Jesus rides in, triumphal entry. And then there was a question of authority. They're saying, hey, let's try to trick Jesus. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? Because they knew that if Jesus said one thing, the people would would get after him. Uh, the, The Jewish people, if he said another thing, the Roman people would get after him. And isn't that how it is today with political charged questions? See, people kind of want to buttonhole us sometimes. And they say, well, what do you think about this issue? Or what do you think about that issue? And, and Jesus turns it around to them and he says, well, um, you know, you're asking these questions, but I want to ask you a question. Or, or Jesus was the one that asked them about the baptism of John. And then he gives them this parable. The first parable is the, is the two sons. Remember that, that one son said, hey, dad, I'll go ahead and do what you told me to do. I'll do it real, really quickly. I'll do it right away. He doesn't do it. The other son says, I'm not going to do it. But then what does he do? He decides to do it. And that shows that the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, which rejected Jesus, you know, they followed God. They followed him in the Old Testament. They followed his law. But Jesus speaking to the religious authorities and the rulers was saying, hey, you said you were going to follow God. But now here I am. I'm God's son and you're rejecting me. And then the Gentiles, those that said, hey, we don't want anything to do with God. Some of them have started to receive Christ. And so Jesus told them about the two sons. And that, that also, it speaks to us. Sometimes we could say, God, I'm not going to do what you told me to do. And then the Holy Spirit convicts us. And then when we're convicted, it's really, it's not what we say we're going to do. It's what we actually do that matters. So if I, I tell God, hey, I'll follow you. How do I know whether or not I'm really following him? Am I obeying him? Am I really doing what he's called me to do? There was also the, the landowner. Do you remember that the, the landowner, he had, um, he had this land and, and uh, he told these people, hey, I'll rent it to you. You could go ahead and work the field. But then at the crop time, when it's time to receive the, the, the part of the crops that is due to me, then you're supposed to give it to me. And what happened is they killed. Do you remember that? They, they, they're killing his servants and, and they're, they're wicked. And, and God is telling them, hey, it's like the the chief cornerstone that the builders have rejected and so last week we looked at obedience is how we worship we looked at love and obedience they they go hand in hand and delayed obedience is better than not obeying but we are to obey when he says to do it now this morning when we consider in matthew chapter 22 i want you to read with me verses 1 through 14 And I want you to notice that this is a continuing thought from Matthew chapter 21. It's another parable in the same vein of thought. It says in verse 1 of Matthew 22. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out to other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And they went their ways, one to his own farm and another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. 
And he set out, sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is a really, really interesting parable. A parable is a story that tells a truth. In the same way that you have parallel tracks, that means one track and another track. It's a story to come alongside of reality that says this story is illustrating a truth. So the story is not literal. It's a, it's a parable. And in this story, in this parable, Jesus is trying to get them to see something. Now, this is a royal wedding, this parable uh, that Jesus is talking about. And at the last uh, royal wedding, um, you know, I'm not real big into pomp and circumstance. I haven't watched a lot of the, the royal weddings, but this last time it happened to be on every channel. And so I, I watched it and I, I saw parts of it. And, and uh, there was uh, Prince William and, and then there was Catherine and they came in and it was, it was, it was a nice wedding. It was incredible. I mean, there was, there, there's something that captivates the whole world about royal weddings, isn't there? I mean, this is not just, I mean, we're, we're in the United States. We kind of had a problem with the king a long time ago, right? So even though we had that problem, with, we still love royal weddings. And the world just stopped. Watched the royal wedding as uh, the prince came in. And, and it was a, an amazing thing. And, and I, was, I was laughing at the commentators, the fashion commentators. And the fashion commentators, they pointed something out that I didn't know until this last wedding that if you are a female and you come to the wedding, you must wear what? You must wear a hat. I didn't know that they had to wear hats. They, they're supposed to wear hats to the weddings. And this one is a particularly ridiculous looking hat. You know, there's, and if you design hats like this, I'm not trying to offend you. Just in my opinion, which is probably very low. I'm not a fashionista. Um, I, 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 it's kind of a ridiculous hat. It looks like, you know, she's being attacked by butterflies. But... But she had to wear a hat. And so she thought, like, I'm going to go big with this hat. And some of them had these really tiny little hats that was the size of a bagel on the back of their head. Like, you couldn't even tell as they're coming to you that they're wearing a hat. But you, they turn around, oh, yeah, I, I see the hat there. And, and it was this thing, you're expected to come to a royal wedding dressed a certain way. You don't come in just casual clothes. You don't come just dressed the way that you want to dress. There's an attire to it. There's a, there's a part of the ceremony in which if you are invited, then you understand there are expectations in the way in which you come to the wedding. Now, I share that because as we consider the parable of the king's wedding feast, because we don't have a king in the United States and weddings are, are much different here than they were in Jesus' time, it's really important for us to understand this, this custom. Um, you know, we have all kinds of different weddings. There are, are weddings where we, 
We have weddings on the beach with flip-flops. And that's, that's, you know, just, hey, there are people that parachute. Have you ever seen that? They do parachuting weddings. They do scuba diving weddings. It's just kind of crazy. But in, in a king's wedding of a prince, a royal wedding, there's some type of understanding that that wedding has certain, a, a certain culture to it, a certain understanding of how you come to the wedding. And so Jesus spoke this parable. Again, he's speaking to the religious leaders. And he says in verses one through three, he is speaking to them and says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. So what is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like a king who arranged a marriage for his son. When you read in the Old Testament, uh, you realize that even today in Middle Eastern cultures, in Eastern cultures, there are still arranged marriages. Um, Now, I'm really, really grateful that my parents did not do an arranged marriage for me. Um, But I think I could do a good job for my kids. And I think that that should be the rule for for mine. Um, But here's a king, and, and the kingdom of heaven is like this. Do you remember that Abraham had a son named Isaac? And do you remember that it was through Isaac that the seed of Abraham was going to be blessed? This was going to be the lineage of God's people. So Abraham sent his servant, Eleazar, which that name means helper. He sent his helper to go find a bride for his son, Isaac. Please go find a a bride. And do you remember that Eleazar, he goes out and he finds a, a bride. He finds Rebecca for Isaac. And then he brings the bride to Isaac. And Isaac is so like blown away. This is, this is my bride. And there's a, this arranged wedding. Now, remember this as well with Isaac. That before the wedding, Isaac was brought up to a mountain. Do you remember that God told Abraham, now take your son. And he told Abraham, remember, he was going to have this child of promise. And Abraham was already old. It was going to be a miraculous birth. And then God told Abraham, I want you to take your son. And and, and Abraham loved his son so much. And God told Abraham, now take your son, the one that has come from, from you, your only son whom you love, and take him and sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you. So what does he do? He takes his son Isaac And Isaac is old enough to have logic, to think about this with his dad, to obey his dad without fighting, and to say, Dad, I I see the wood, I see the fire, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says to his son, Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. They go up to Mount Moriah, the mountain in which God told him to go to. And it says that he laid the wood on the back of his son, Isaac, who carried the wood up the mountain to the sacrifice. And then it says that the father, Abraham, bound his son and and his son allowed him to do this. Now, his son was old enough to understand what was happening, old enough and strong enough to carry wood on his back, could have easily outrun his father, Abraham, who was old, but he willingly did this. And when Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac, 
before the sacrifice, he put the knife up and then God stopped him. And there was a lamb, a ram that was stuck in the thicket. And God did provide. And if you go on the same mountain range, which we went to in Israel, when you get to the top of Mount Moriah, what you see just over in the distance, not a stone's throw away, is Golgotha. What you see is Calvary. What you see is the hill that Jesus walked up, that he carried wood on his back, that he willingly came up this hill to become the sacrifice that God himself provided for us. And Eleazar, which means helper, when Jesus went away, he said, it is good that I go away because if I don't go away, the helper will not come. And who is the helper? The helper is the Holy Spirit. Uh, The parakletos, which means the one that will come alongside of to help. And the helper, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He brings us to Christ, the helper. Now, I think it's so important that we understand this, that in verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who arranged a marriage for his son. God the Father has arranged a marriage for his son. And we, collectively, are called the bride of Christ. For those that accept the invitation to come, when the Holy Spirit comes, the helper comes and he draws us, that is the wedding that we are all invited to. And it is a beautiful, beautiful picture that Jesus is giving to them. And yet, it says that in verse three, so this arranged marriage is there. It says, and he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding And they were not willing to come. Now, let me explain again culturally what this means in this this wedding feast. We have watches. You know, I have a watch. We have clocks. We we could say that the wedding is on Saturday. It is at 3 p.m. They don't have watches. They don't have clocks. They know that there's, you know, different hours. There's the third hour. You know, there's the sixth hour, the ninth hour. You know, you, you look at it's right about noon. You can't tell exactly. But when the wedding was scheduled for a certain time, and they understood that the wedding was going to be at that time on that day, then when the wedding was ready, it's like all the preparation. Can you imagine the royal wedding? What is this like in Middle Eastern culture at Jesus' time? They're getting the food ready. They're getting the tables ready. Everything is being set up. And when it's time, people already know. They've already received the invitation. You already know that the wedding is coming. And when the the herald and the messengers go out throughout the city, it's time, the wedding is ready, the banquet is ready. Come to the wedding. Everyone is supposed to already be dressed for the wedding. You're you're waiting, you're anxiously knowing that it's going to be at any moment now, that the wedding is going to take place. But I want you to see that Jesus is telling this parable and it really is kind of a ridiculous thing. Because can you imagine being invited to the royal wedding? To the king's wedding. I mean, not everyone is invited. Not everyone gets one of those. But you are. You're invited. And the people that received the invitation, the servants go out to call them, they didn't want to come to the wedding. They, they were unwilling to come. The invitation that God gives is, Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation is to any that would receive. In fact, the invitation is, Jesus said this, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. So who's invited? 
Everyone's invited. This is not an exclusive wedding. This is an open wedding. Can you imagine that? Any of you that have been, you know, had weddings or you planned it? Can you imagine having an open wedding? Who should I invite? Who's on my list? Everyone. Invite everyone. And you tell your friends, you tell, your, you tell anyone that you know, even just, just invite that everyone's invited. So these people are invited. But, but notice that initially there are specific invitations. Just like the gospel in the book of Acts is preached first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So in this invitation, those who received the invitation, they weren't willing to come. See, sometimes people are really indifferent when it comes to the invitation to come to Christ. Oh, I've been invited. Oh, okay. I'm just not willing to come. It's just, just not a priority. It's just, it's just not a big deal to me. But then in verse 4, because the king, and now obviously, can you imagine how offensive this would be to the prince if no one came to the wedding? Can you imagine how, how sad that would be? And so the invitation goes out again in verse 4. He sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. So I want you to notice that this invitation goes out again. And this is important to me because God continues to draw us. I'm so blessed that God continues to invite Because how many of you responded to the first invitation? How many of you responded the first time that God tried to get a hold of your life? The first time that someone told you about Jesus? The first time that you heard the gospel? Maybe maybe there were many times that you heard it. Maybe you heard it on television. And maybe when you were a kid, someone invited you to church. Or maybe you heard it from your parents. Or maybe you heard it from friends. but, But it wasn't the first invitation. Maybe it was many invitations. God continues to draw. He continues to invite. And listen to this. I think it's a picture of the gospel. It says that all things are ready. Come to the wedding. All things are ready. The table is set. The invitation is there. You don't, you don't come to the king's wedding um, ready to cook, right? You don't come to the king's wedding the You don't come to the royal wedding. I mean, this is earthly. You don't come to Prince William and and Catherine's wedding saying, okay, you know, rolling up my sleeves, where do I set up chairs? (laughs) You don't show up like, okay, you know, give me a hat in the kitchen. Give me some gloves. I'm going to start preparing some food. It is already prepared. It's already taken care of. God has already set the table. The feast is ready. Everything is ready. In verse five, notice this. But they made light of it and they went their ways. See, sometimes people really make light of God's invitation. People even make fun of God's invitation. Oh, yeah, just come however you, oh, no big deal. And, and people can make light of it. And it says that um, they went their ways, one to his own farm and another to his business. See, there are some people that are just indifferent to the invitation. Some people too busy. Someday I'll get to it. Someday I'll deal with spiritual things. Someday I'll get serious with my walk with God. Someday I'll explore whether or not there really is a God. Right now I have business to do. Right now I have work. Right now I'm focused on what's right in front of me. But I also want you to see that there's another group in verse 6 
that is very antagonistic to the invitation. Again, this is a shocking story, a parable that Jesus tells. And it doesn't, it, it's almost nonsensical. It doesn't make sense that, that people would reject the invitation. And just as much, it's not logical that they would kill the people that are giving out the invitations. In verse 6, the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. In 2013, we live in a world of persecution. We live in a world that if you travel outside of our borders, that to give someone the invitation to come to Christ is punishable by death. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Isn't that crazy to even preach the gospel in some places around the world is is punishable by death? And yet when Jesus is telling this parable, what he's trying to get them to see is that the parable tells the truth of reality. And this truth of reality today is that when the invitation goes out to come to Christ, some people are indifferent, they don't care. Some people make light of it. And there are other people that get angry. Because when an invitation is given and you say, come to Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life, there are people that get angry that say, no, I don't want that way. And by you giving me that invitation, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not there right now. What you're doing is you're telling me that I'm outside right now. And they get very angry and very upset. And so this happens. And it says in verse 7, when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Again, just imagine this. As Jesus is telling this parable, um, what government is ruling over them right now? The Romans. Now, just imagine that Caesar throws a wedding and everybody's invited and all these people are given invitations. And when Caesar sends out some servants, the first time people say, oh, we don't want to come, you know, we're busy or, or they were just indifferent. But the servants come back. No, Caesar is having a wedding. The emperor is throwing a wedding and you kill his servants. What would he do? You're dead, right? You don't, you don't just, you, not only have you rejected the invitation, you've also killed the servants that have, have come. Do you remember when Jesus was talking about the parable of the rich landowner? That he sent servants and they didn't listen. Sent another set of servants, they didn't listen. And they said, I, in the end, I will send my son. And they killed him also. So when Jesus is passing out these, or he's telling about the king, the parable of, of these invitations, there are some that are very antagonistic. And I think that it's important for us to note that in verse 7, a king that does not in the end judge rebellion is not a good king. In fact, a king that doesn't judge wickedness is not a good judge. We, we think about judges today. And, and yes, there are times of lenience and God is, is incredibly gracious. Incredible. What does he forgive? When we come, I mean, he, he forgives all of our sin. He casts it from the, as far as the east is from the west. And yet, for those that would never come to say, forgive me, for those that would never say, I, 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 I repent or I come humbly, if a judge allowed every murderer to go free, just imagine a judge today, 
in his jurisdiction said, today I am going to be merciful. Everyone is free. Go. Would we call that judge gracious? Would we call that judge loving? Would we call that judge good? No, we would call that judge wicked and we would become angry. I mean, when we think about our world, we have a world in which I don't know about you, but I get so angry when it seems like people get away with stuff. When it seems like, I mean, first of all, let's start off on small things. Have you ever come outside and found your stereo from your car ripped off? Or the side of your car door just gouged with keys? Have you ever had your house broken into? Or your, your identity stolen by a credit card thief? Or, or some cyber you know, thief that, that took your credit card? And, didn't you feel violated? Didn't you feel like someone should have to pay for that? Now that's small, that's a material thing. And we could go, go up the scale as far as crimes, can't we? Someone stealing another person's innocence. Someone stealing another person's freedom. Someone really taking another person's life. And if we have a God that is a real God, then if people aren't willing to humble themselves and repent, at some point in time, if God doesn't judge sin, he's not a good, just God. And in this parable, this invitation, here's the thing that is crazy to me. The invitation in and of itself is incredibly gracious because no one deserves to come. None of us deserves that. And yet he continues to woo us and call us and send his servants and even send his son. And then notice what it says here in verse 8. It says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, Go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Go out into the highways and the byways. When I was um, in college at Azusa Pacific, I, I read this article. Um, there was this, this couple that actually did this. They went out into the highways and the byways and they had this incredible wedding feast in which they just wanted whomever wants to come. So their wedding, yes, there were invitations, those friends and family, but then it was open to anyone that wanted to witness this wedding. And all the people that wanted to come were a part of this reception. And the gospel was preached at the reception. What a, what a great idea. Now, I'm hoping that some, some people say, I want to do that for my wedding. Yeah, that's just a, a, an incredible thing. He says, go into the highways, as many as you find, invite them. And I want you to notice that all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now here's something very important. There are morally, quote unquote, good people today that are on a path to hell because they have not received Christ. Now if that is crazy to you to hear then it is very important that you listen because if you, if you listen to this, you're gonna hear the gospel message. We do not come to God based on our goodness. We do not come to God saying, hey God, I have arrived, I have made it, I'm so morally good that I bought my ticket. I've purchased my own ticket by being good. See, when it comes to 
sin, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And one of the words for sin is the word hamartia, which means to miss the mark. Now, every time I shoot the basket at a basket, you know, basketball at a basket, every time I shoot, I am trying to make the ball go into the basket. I am never trying to miss. I'm not throwing it up there just to throw it up there. I'm trying to make the ball go through the hoop. And my percentage of times that it goes through the hoop is very low. The times when I miss, that is called sin. Hamartia, missing the mark. In other words, there are people that are trying by good intentions that will miss the mark. Because all of us have sinned. Is there any one of us that has never coveted? Any one of us that has never lusted? Any one of us that has never felt just so much anger that we wanted something bad to happen to another person? Is there any one of us that can say, hey, I am perfect? No. And because of that, at the wedding feast, which I think that we are going to be, number one, blessed, and number two, surprised when we get to heaven. I think we're going to be blessed that we are there, and we're going to be surprised that other people are there, right? And then other people are going to be blessed that they're there, and they're going to be surprised that we're there. And they're going to say, I can't believe that you made it. Like, you might think in your mind, there's other people that you're thinking, I can't believe they're going to make it. But there's other people that are probably going to be shocked that you made it. And at this wedding feast, there are both good and bad. Maybe, maybe some of you were raised, you know, in a Christian home. And morally, you, you, according to the world standards, you were pretty good. You didn't steal. You didn't try to hurt. See, see when I was growing up, that's kind of how I thought about salvation or going to heaven. I thought, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not, I'm not doing drugs. I'm not stealing. I'm not beating people up. I'm, I'm just, I'm a pretty good kid is what I thought that I was. And then the older that I got and the more that the Holy Spirit convicted me and the more that I started to read his word, I realized, no, all of us fall short of God's glory. And so the good and the bad, and that's why it is so important in this quote unquote culture war, which, which in, in our world that we live in, here's something that is very important that we don't categorize some people as far from the kingdom and some people as close to the kingdom based on the sin that we see in their lives at times because we don't know what's going on under the surface and what the Holy Spirit is doing. How far would Saul of Tarsus have been? If you know who Saul of Tarsus was, he was a a Jewish guy that believed that Jesus was a, a lunatic, that he really wasn't from God. And he sought out to kill people that were telling others about Jesus. Now, if I had to rate who was far from the kingdom, I would have said that that guy's very, very far. And yet, Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the Apostle, who wrote, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, many of the books that we read in the New Testament. And then you see this guy, like, remember the the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus, who was morally good, that followed the law, and yet Jesus said, one thing you still lack, go and sell all you have, and then Uh, give it to the poor and then you could come and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven it said that that guy went away sad i would have thought that that guy was close i would have thought that saul of tarsus was far and see it is so important that we don't think of people like oh look at that guy far from the kingdom that guy's driving a nice car you know he he he's a taxpayer he's a citizen that that you know he's morally good has a good job helps out that guy might be so far from the kingdom of God because he thinks that in his own righteousness he's already going to heaven that you can't reach him with the humbleness of the gospel. So we don't know. 
And so what ends up happening, it says in verse 11, but when the king came in, so the, the hall is filled with guests. So we, we look at the indifferent and we look at the antagonistic, but I want you to notice that there's another category here. And this category is the unchanged. It says in verse 11, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. He didn't have a funny hat. No, not that they wore hats, but he wasn't dressed appropriately. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I don't know about you, but for years, this parable troubled me. When I first became a Christian, I started reading the Bible. For years, this, I, I was perplexed by this parable. Because I look at it and I'm thinking, you know, this guy comes in. So what? He's not wearing, he, he's not wearing a, a tie or whatever it is. And, and so like bind him hand and foot and take him out of here. Again, remember the royal wedding. Remember that there's a certain way in which to dress. Now, there are two different schools of thought here. And when you look at historical research, there are some that say, that the king would actually have garments for people as they would come to the wedding. They were given a wedding garment. Um, maybe you've been to a, a nice, real nice. Okay, there's nice restaurants and then there's the real nice restaurants where you must have a sport coat. And if you go to a real nice restaurant at a club like that, what do they have for you? They have sport coats for men that don't have a sport coat on. So if you come, oh, pff, you can't go in like that. Let me give you this nice coat. And they size you up and they look at the coat, make sure that it fits right. And you get to wear, I've heard that, you get to wear this coat and then you, you go in and, and then, you know, you're at this nice place and, and you're wearing the, a prop, the proper attire. Now, if you magnify this a thousandfold and consider that this is a king who has sent out invitations, and it could be that, yes, he already had garments there, but even if he did not hand out the garments, everyone understood that at a royal wedding, there's a proper attire. Now, Jesus, in explaining the parable, said this. In verse 2, remember, the kingdom of what? What is he talking about? What, is he, what truth is he trying to illustrate? The kingdom of what? Heaven. Heaven is like this. Some people are indifferent. I don't care. Some people are antagonistic. Don't tell me about that God. Don't tell me about that Jesus. Don't tell me that he's the only way. Some people, they try to get in. They say, hey, you know what? I'll come. I'll come to the wedding, but I will come on my terms. I will come the way that I'm going to come, and I will not change. I will not put on any garment. I will come, and yes, I love the parts about grace and forgiveness and all of those things, but you know what? There's other beliefs that I have, and there are other philosophies that I have, and you know what? God is going to let me in because he's the God of my own imagination that I am designing and this God lets people in that are like me. What, what they're, they're doing, what Jesus is saying is that some people, they say, yes, I want to go to heaven. And I've heard people say this, you know, I, I, I love Jesus, but I also want to make sure that I'm getting in. So I also practice these other religions. I, I have a student that, um, he called me up and he was suicidal. And uh, he, he said, I did not know who, I haven't, I haven't spoken to him in 20 years. He was one of my first students that I ever taught when I used to teach um, high school. 
And he thought, I have no idea who to call. He was suicidal. So he searched my name on the web and my name came up and he found out that I was a pastor and he found out where I was and he called me. And he said, Mr. Valencia, coach, is this you? And I said, yeah. He goes, Matt Valencia used to coach at this school. Yeah. And he explained who he was. And he said, I didn't know who, all, who else to call. He said, I, I just wanted to end my life. And he explained why he was about ready to commit suicide. And let me tell you how he did it. He laid down on railroad tracks. And as he laid down on railroad tracks, he took with him a Koran. He took with him a Bible. He took with him some other holy books. And he said, God, I don't know which one of these is the right one. So I want to cover all of my bases. And he laid there outside of his house because the train track was on the other side of a brick wall. And he waited. And as the train was approaching, he rolled off of the tracks. And he called me. And I shared with him, I want you to know something. God saved your life. He had you call me because I want to tell you the God that you've been searching for. And I shared with him the full gospel and I explained who Jesus is. And the reason why I share that with you is that there are some people that say, I don't need the garment that God provides. I have my own garment. I'm gonna get in my own way. I'm gonna do things. I I just wanna cover all of my bases. And what God says is, no, there's a wedding garment. And what is the wedding garment? Let me read this to you out of the book of Isaiah. And then, and then after Isaiah, we're, we're going to look at one last scripture. In Isaiah 61.10, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom covers himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Do you hear that? The reason why we could have joy, the reason why we could come to the banquet, why we could be a part of that incredible scene that you read of in the book of Revelation is this. It's because it is God who has clothed us with his garments of salvation. We are covered with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom covers himself with ornaments or as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now I want to close with this. At the end of this, when, when the one without the royal garment, the wedding garment, is thrown out into outer darkness, Jesus ends this parable in verse 14 by saying this, For many are called, but few are chosen. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. And as you're turning to Romans, chapter 8, I, I do want to share with you that the reason why I was so confused by this parable for, for so long um, was verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, many are called. Now, Jesus just talked about the invitation. There are many that receive the invitation. And I would think that Jesus' parable would have ended this way. There are many that are invited but there are very few that respond to the invitation or receive or accept the invitation. But Jesus doesn't choose those words. He says these words that to me were very perplexing. For many are called, but few are chosen. Which is kind of a weird thing because it seems like the invitation is whoever wants to come, go to the highways and byways, but then he ends it with that, no, there's some select people that are chosen. Well, I want you to read with me in Romans chapter 8. It says this, begin with me in verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, let me just start with this. Condemnation means judgment, being separated from God. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement, now here's the garment, that righteous requirement, that wedding garment, so to speak, to come into the, the banquet, the wedding feast, that in verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at war, at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If this, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh um, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. You will live for as many and listen to this for as many as are led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Now, let me explain this. Many are called. The invitation goes out to the world. For God so loved the what? The whole world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And anyone, the invitation is to anyone. And yet, there are many people that will, number one, be indifferent. Number two, there are some people that will be antagonistic. And number three, there will be some people that will never change and say, I'm going to do it my way. And to all of them, God will say, you are not chosen. And let me explain, when, when Spurgeon explained this conundrum, he said, I believe above the gates to heaven are, is a sign that says, whosoever wills, let him enter. Do you want to come to heaven? Do you want to know the Lord? Do you want to receive the free gift of salvation? Then come, receive it. Just come just as you are. Here's a free gift. When does the gift become yours? When you receive it, not when it's offered. It's still not yours until you receive it. Anyone that wants the gift, go ahead. You can have it. It's free. It, it Just come as you are. But there's a specific gift. There's a specific RSVP. There's a specific garment. And this is the invitation. If you want it, it's yours. And yet Spurgeon said, when you go through the gates of heaven, on the back of the sign, he said, I believe we will look on the back of the sign and it will say, for I have chosen you before the foundations of the earth. So this morning, many are called, but few are chosen. How do you know if you're chosen? 
respond. How do you know if you're chosen? Receive. How do you know if you're chosen? Say, I want that free gift. It, 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 it's simple. How do you know if you get the free car wash? You drive your car through the car wash. You don't drive your car by the car wash and say, I believe that I got the free car wash, but I'm not going to go in. No, you drive in. You get your car wash. It's the free car wash. How do you know you got your free car wash? You've got a free car wash. How do you know that you're chosen? You receive. It's an invitation that comes to all of us. And let me close with this. God calls us to be those that invite others. In the parable, one of the things that we miss is that we are the servants. And as the servants, God says, go invite everyone. Invite everyone you know. Go into the highways and the byways. Go to the people that you think are far from the kingdom of God and those that you think are close to the kingdom of God. Those that look like they're good and those that look like they're bad. Those that say that they're gay, those that say that they're straight. You go to every person. You go to the person that seems self-righteous. You go to the person that is stuck in false religion. You go to the person that is in no religion because you are my servants and it is my wedding and my son has this incredible feast that he wants you to enjoy. He wants you to know his relationship. God wants the world to know that. Who are we not to extend the invitation when we have a God that is so gracious to extend the invitation? And he said, I bid you to come and I bid you to invite others to come. And so this morning as we close, may we first of all respond to God's invitation. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And as I pray that prayer, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not sure whether or not you are one of the chosen Maybe you think I was born, you know, as a Christian, or, but I'm, not, I'm just not sure. I, I was raised in a Christian home. How do you know? Receive. And this morning as I pray, I'm going to pray that prayer. And if you want to receive that gift, it's by faith. It's by trust. And in, in basically what this symbolizes, the cross, Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. He paid for my ticket and your ticket. We have a place for us that if we would only receive, then he clothes us with that wedding garment. And then we are going to pray that God equips us, um, gives us a love for him and a love for people so that we are called as evangelists to do the work of an evangelist. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to, um, to hear our prayers. Father, this morning we, we come to you, Lord, as those that are not worthy to come. Father, we know that there are no exceptions to this rule. Jesus, when you said that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you, we believe that. And Lord, we believe it because you are gracious and you are offering the invitation to us. And Lord, we realize that we don't receive the invitation because we're better than anyone else. In fact, Lord, we, we know that you give that invitation to any who would come. And so this morning as we pray, if there is anyone here that has never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and this morning you want to receive that free gift, would you just pray this prayer of faith with me? Father, thank you for reaching out to me this morning. And I want to receive the invitation to know you. I thank you that Jesus died for my sins. And I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I acknowledge that I need you in my life 
And I humble myself to you. And I ask that you would lead me and help me to follow you. Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those of us that are already clothed with that garment of righteousness that doesn't come from ourselves but comes from you, God, we just want to confess that too many times we have given the wrong message to people. Lord, we've given the message at times that they need to clean up their own lives before they come. That they need to get some things right and then, and then they'll be accepted by you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to clarify the message of the gospel. And God, I pray that you would give us a love for you and a love for people that is so great that, Lord, it would burn within us that we have to do something about it. God, you've set the table, this gracious, gracious feast. And Lord, we are anxiously awaiting that time to to be able to be a part of that feast with you. But Lord, you've called us to bid others to come as well. So Lord, use us, equip us. God, help us to invite neighbors, friends, relatives, not just to church, but Lord, to more than that, to know you. And we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we worship the Lord, maybe this is your first time coming to Christ. If it is, then after we sing at the end of the service, I would love it if you would come up and let me know that. And I could pray with you and give you a Bible and just kind of explain some things more to you. Um, And for us as believers, one of the things that we do is we worship God not only in singing, but uh, in this next part of our service with tithes and offerings. It's not a guilt thing. It's not a, a thing of trying to earn our way to heaven. It's because we want to give God our first fruits. God is a generous, gracious God, and so we give unto the Lord as an act of worship. And we're going to ask God to bless this act of worship, that he would further that that gift for the kingdom as well. So let's pray. Lord, we also worship you not just in words, but in our actions. And God, uh, we know that uh, you've told us that where our, our heart is there, our treasure will be also. So Lord, we, we take uh, this time now Lord, to offer up to you not only singing, but Lord, um, hard-earned money at times, Lord, things that we have spent hours on in in our our jobs. And Lord, we want to thank you that you are the provider. So even though, Lord, you've blessed us with ways to, to live, ultimately, we know all good things come from you. We ask that you'd bless this offering, and Lord, that you would receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.